This is the Radio Bible Class, and I'm your host, Tim Carter. We welcome you to our Bible study as the Radio Bible Class streams across the nation and around the world. We bring to you a message how Christ ministers to his disciples after the resurrection. We greet you on the internet and radio with the message that Jesus is alive today. Now, today's lesson is titled, Finish What You Started, Lord, and it comes from Philippians 1, 1 through 11. But before we start our lesson today, Word Talk Inc. could use your support. Now, playing music on the radio may sound simple, but actually it's quite costly due to publishing rights and royalties. And before that first song is ever played, there's utility bills and tower rental fees and maintenance and so forth. We need people just like you to help with the tax-deductible gifts. So won't you do that today? You can do that by calling us at 601-483-8648. And there they can take your information safely and securely over the phone or mail us your gift to Word Talk, Inc., P.O. Box 4334, Meridian, Mississippi, 39304. Now, your gift to Word Talk, Inc. is IRS approved as a 501c3 tax-exempt ministry. Your contribution is never used for salaries or managerial purposes, but 100% of it goes to the expense providing the good news of Jesus Christ to our listening area. Hebrews 13.16 says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. If you'd like to go back and listen to a previous lesson, you can do that by going to our podcast website. That's Radio Bible Class with no spaces between radiobibleclass.podbean.com or catch us wherever you listen to your podcast. We're there too. Whether that's Spotify or Google or Amazon or iTunes, we're there too. Just search for WMER Radio Bible Class with no spaces between Radio Bible Class. Today we're starting off a new series and it's coming out of the book of Philippians. There's only four chapters, but I imagine this will take us eight to ten weeks to go through. Here's a little background about Philippians. This letter is a letter to the church at Philippi. It is a group of believers in Macedonia, or now in modern-day Greece. History tells us that Philip II of Macedonia, the the father of Alexander the Great, named the city after himself in 356 B.C., So by the time Paul gets here, this city has been in existence for about 400 years. Now, Paul travels here during his second missionary journey. You can see that in Acts 16. And he comes because he was given a vision to go there. And theologians say that he came between 50 and 53 A.D. Another interesting fact is that there really wasn't any Jewish presence in this city. So it was almost exclusively a Gentile population around this time, around 10,000 to 15,000 people. Matter of fact, there was a small garrison of a Roman outpost there. Now, a lot of Roman soldiers would retire here in Philippi. Matter of fact, it's similar to today when people retire and come to Florida. That's what happened here. You got your social security card, you got your retirement, and you moved to Philippi. Now, because of all these retired Roman soldiers, it was said that Philippi was very similar to a mini Rome. You would go there and it was like a miniature of Rome. As I said earlier, Paul went here on the second missionary journey and he established a church there. Again, that comes from Acts 16. And this letter that he's writing, he's writing 10 years later while he is in prison. He's a prisoner in Rome, and so it's about 62 AD. Also, the main theme of this book, or this letter, is joy. Some form of the word joy, or rejoice, appears 14 times throughout these four 
short chapters. With all that said, let's jump right in because I want to try to cover the first 11 verses. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 1. We'll start in verse 1. We'll read through verse 11. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who has begun a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart. For you are all my partakers with my grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, the glory and praise of God. Well, as I told you in the beginning, that Acts 16 is really when the church is founded, and Paul has a vision, and he sees this man standing before him, and this is the first time the gospel gets sent to Europe. His first missionary journey was to modern-day Turkey, and so this time he goes to Greece. He goes to modern-day Greece, and there we find that three unique people are converted to start this church. Now, when he gets there, he goes to go to the synagogue, and there is no synagogue. So again, it backs up what I told you. In any city, if there were 10 Jewish men, they had at least a temporary temple. Well, anyway, there is no synagogue. So he goes down by the river, says that he runs across several ladies. And one of the people in the lady was a lady named Lydia. Now, the Bible tells us that she was a God-fearing woman. As she listens to Paul and the Holy Spirit starts working on her heart, she responds to what Paul is saying. And so she is saved and her household is baptized, is what the Bible tells us. And she even goes as far to say, if you consider us saved and a part of the Christ followers, come stay with us. Again, as we studied over the past seven weeks about the I am statements, one of the I am statements is, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's what Jesus said. Lydia was a God-fearing woman. She knew a lot about God, but it was until she was preached of the gospel of Christ that she came to her salvation. And we need to walk away today understand that we can know a lot about God. Even the demons know about God. But we need to know Jesus Christ. He is our way to the Father, and it is only through Him. Well, as we move on, Paul and Silas head out, and they're heading on a way to prayer. And as they go, there's this slave girl that starts following them, and she has a spirit inside of her that can predict the future. And because she's a slave woman, that means she had owners, and they made their money by her fortune-telling. Anyhow, she followed Paul and Silas, and she kept saying that these men who are speaking to you about the way to salvation are the servants of the Most High God. So again, as I told you, even evil spirits know about God. 
and they talk about God, and they recognize who Paul and Silas are. And here is this possessed woman that is saying that these two men who are proclaiming salvation are from the Most High God. Well, it annoyed Paul to the point that he commands the spirit to come out of the woman. And when her owners realize that their business and their profits are gone, they have Paul and Silas seized and they throw them into jail. We all know the story about Paul and Silas at midnight singing and praising, praying to God and singing to God when an earthquake comes and all of a sudden all the jail doors open up. No one leaves, not even Paul and Silas, but the jailer who wakes up and sees this is about to kill himself when Paul yells out, hold on, don't, we're all here, you can come count us. And the jailer asked them, what must I do to be saved? The Bible tells us that Paul responds back, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Well, the Bible tells us he takes them to their house, he washes their wounds, he feeds them, and his house is saved, and they are baptized. And then the next morning, this jailer gets word that they are to release Paul and Silas. The magistrate has sent orders for them to be released. Here's the reason why I told you all of this. When Paul gets to Philippi, first he runs into Lydia, and Lydia is saved. Next, he commands the demon out of the woman that is possessed. She eventually gets saved. And now a Roman jailer and his family get saved. The Bible doesn't tell us this, but not only are these two families plus this woman that's been demon-possessed all saved, but I got to believe that some of the folks that were in the jail got saved as well. These were the founding members, though, of this church at Philippi. And what we should learn from this founding group of members of this church is that God can take the most unique people. God can use anybody, and he will use everybody if we will just yield to him. Don't believe what the devil is saying. You're not too far gone. There's nothing in your past that God can't overcome and that he is willing to use for his glory. And so now, if you look at verse 1, we see that Paul says he and Timothy servants of Christ, are addressing all the saints in the church, all the overseers, and the deacons. So this church has flourished. That's 10 years later. Paul is now in Rome in house arrest, and he's writing, and he's commending them. Anyhow, in verse 1, he says that they are servants. If you go look at that word in the Greek, it is doulos. And Paul uses this word doulos in several places, but not only him, Peter uses it, Jude uses it, and James uses it. But here a bondservant is someone from Hebrew law. It goes all the way back to Exodus 21. You can go back and read that. I don't have really time to go into it. But Exodus 21 tells you that you could, if you got yourself into trouble, you could effectively sell yourself or you could become an employee of another person. Now, it wasn't a moral sell yourself. It was more of, I would go to work. It's very similar to what we did today. But in Exodus 21, it tells us that you would do this for six years, and on the seventh year, you were free. Your debt had been paid. But what a bondservant would do is at that seventh year, they would go to the master and say, look, you've been so good to me. I feel like a part of this family. I've been married now. I've got kids. I want to stay and be a part of the family. I willingly asking to stay and he would take a awl and he would take him to the door sill of the house 
and he would take and drive that all through his ear. And that was a sign that they were bond, they were bound for the rest of his life. Now, it was a willful thing to do. And that's what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying that I love you, Lord, so much that I am doing this not under compulsion, but I am doulos. I have been taken to the wall. I am under your lordship. And I do this willingly because I love you so much and you love me so much. I willingly do this. I am a bond servant. I am a servant to Jesus Christ. And now we see he starts in verse 3, a prayer, a thanksgiving prayer. It's a joyful prayer. And we're going to see this through this theme throughout this whole book. But he says, I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer. See, Paul is saying that I am thankful that I know you and that I'm joyful when I remember you. And then he goes on in verse 5 to say, because of your partnership. Now, the, again, the Greek word there is cornea. A lot of times you see that in the Bible as fellowship. Again, it's translated as partnership here. And that's probably because of the money that they, they send to him and they've given him. And we're going to see that as we go through this book, especially in chapter 4. And let me just say that most churches do a partnership with evangelists. And so this is very similar to what they've done with Paul. And I want everyone to understand that this radio station, WMER, is an evangelist. It is a message that goes out to bring the good news of Jesus Christ and encouraging words through the lessons and the sermons that are preached here. And also encouraging and good news through the music that's played here. And we could use partnerships with churches and even individuals. Every week, I start off by telling you how you can help partner with this ministry. But I'll move on for the sake of time. In verse 6, though, this is one that we have all know. I'm sure of this, that he who has started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. I won't dissect this completely, but right here we see, he says, I am sure of this. I am confident, I know this to be a fact, that he who started a good work, who is the he there? That is Jesus Christ, the one that saved you, who started a good work in your heart, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. What is the day of Christ Jesus? That is the day that he comes back. That is the day that he takes his church home. Now, some of us will die before that day comes, and if that's the case, what he's teaching this church is that God is going to continue the work in you and the blessing that he started when I was there, not by me, but through Jesus Christ, that good work in your heart he started. He's going to keep building on that. He's going to make you more sanctified. He's going to help you walk closer and reflect him more every day. And he's going to do that until either you go to be with the Lord or the Lord comes back. This verse teaches us, one, that we can count on God. The very first, it says, I am sure of this. God is faithful. God will do this. And then the second thing is, it's not how you started. That's not what he says. He says that you are going to finish well. It doesn't matter how we got here. Think about how this church started. It's not how the church started. It's how we finished. And God is all about us finishing well. God didn't save us and then say, good luck on your own. No, when we are saved, the Holy Spirit comes and indwells with us. And God uses the Holy Spirit to help 
shine the light in our life so that we can prune back the areas that need to be fixed and we can look more and more like his son Jesus every single day. David understood this. Listen to what David wrote in Psalms 138.8. The New Living Translation says, The Lord will work out his plans for my life, for your faithful love, O Lord, endures forever. Don't abandon me, for you made me. He says that the Lord will work out his plans. He will continue that good work. Listen to what the Bible says in Deuteronomy 1.30-31. The Lord your God who goes before you will fight for you just as you saw him do for you in Egypt and in the wilderness where the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son all the way by which you traveled until you reached this place. The Lord will fight for you. He will carry you like a father carries his son is what this says. Well, it goes on in verse 7 and says, you know, that indeed it is right for me to think of you this way because I have you in my heart and I have this joy because I have you in my heart and you are all partners to me in both grace and in my imprisonment and chains that I'm in right now. You're still a partner with me and you are a confirmation of the gospel. We are confirmation what God did in us. For God is my witness how deeply I miss all of you. He talks about his affection here. And with that affection of Christ Jesus, I miss you. And then he talks about how he prays. Listen to this. There's four things I want you to see. I pray this, that your love will keep growing. So first he wants us to grow in our love. Then he wants us to have every kind of discernment so that we can approve the proper things and that we will be blameless in the day of Christ. In other words, that we are pure and blameless and that we are filled with the fruit of righteousness. And how do we do that? We do that through walking with the Spirit. We talked about this last week, that how we are plugged into the vine. And when we are, we have the Holy Spirit that is leading and we produce fruit. But let's quickly look at each of these four things he says that he prays for them. First, that your love will keep on growing. What we need to understand is that even when we have a lot of love, and the Philippians had a lot of love, and they showed that love to Paul, Paul didn't hesitate to pray that their love would abound or grow even more. It doesn't matter how much love we have for others, we can still have more. We can still grow in our walk. We're never completed. We saw that in verse 6. You know, I think about recently I was out walking and it had been raining and all the water was running down into this ditch. And what I saw as I was on that walk was that more and more water just kept growing and growing. Even though the rain had stopped, the water kept growing until the swell peaked. And that's exactly what I think Paul is trying to get these people to understand is that our love never peaks. Our love just continues to grow. But then he also says, hey, I don't want your love just to grow with this undiscerning type of love, even though that's important that we love everybody. But I want you to also use that love and understand through the knowledge and discernment that the Holy Spirit gives you. Paul is saying, endorse those things that are excellent, those things that are good, the things that are not discern it and push it away. I think what we can learn from this is that love must be more than just sentimental emotion. It must conform to the truth of the word of God and it should be a fruit that comes out of our life from following the word of God. 
But then look how he finishes verse 10. He says that you may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ. In other words, that we have integrity. If we want to be blameless and we want to be pure before the Lord, if we want to be filled with the fruit of righteousness, as he goes on to say, that means that we have to be plugged into Jesus. That God's work has begun in us, but he's going to continue it so that we become more righteous, not through what we do, but by yielding to him on a daily basis. It's by allowing our life to have the nutrients of Jesus fed to us. And then that nutrients grow in us so that we bear the fruit and we reflect him. And when we have that love, when we have that excellence, when we have the fruit of righteousness filled within us, guess what it does? He says we get all that through Jesus Christ. And what does it do? It glorifies the Father. Glory be to Jesus Christ. Praise be to God. See, when we are walking, we give praise to, to the Father. It's no longer about us. We truly are a servant, just like Paul said he was at the very beginning. It's no longer about us. The focus isn't on us. The focus is on the Father. And we start doing things, and we don't care if we get recognition or not. We want the Father to get the recognition. Well, you might go, Tim, I'm sorry, I blow it all the time. I forget about God because I get so caught up in the moment. And what I want you to understand, it's important that we remember that even when we forget about God, he never forgets about us. He knows what's happening to us every moment of the day. He watches over us. Isaiah 43, 4 says, you are precious and honored in my sight and I love you. See, God does this because he loves us. His love never fails. And God does want us to walk with him every moment of the day. The first step of the beginning of the day when we get up, morning sometimes though can be hurried. We need to develop a habit of setting aside just, if it's just a few minutes to be alone with God and just pray and say, thank you for this day. Thank you for allowing me to breathe another breath. Lord, thank you for allowing me to wake up. We need to take just a moment and read a portion of God's word. If nothing else, just a devotion real quick. And it helps put us in the mindset that God is with us and that we are already partnering with him before we really get into our hurried day. Those are some ways that I try not to get focused on me and take my focus off God. Because when I'm praying and I'm asking the Lord to help me, guess where my focus is? It's on God. And that's how Paul wraps up right here in verse 11 is that filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Where did Paul have his focus? He's saying a prayer. He's opening up as he writes this letter to this church about the focus being on the glory of God and praise going to God, not to Paul, but to God. I'm out of time, so let me close with this final thought around Paul's purposeful prayer about love and excellence, integrity, and praise going to God. See, again, if we want to do what Paul is praying about right here, what he's saying that I pray that your love will keep on growing, if we want our love to grow, if we want to find ourselves faithful, if we want to find ourselves uh, being able to discern, staying pure and blameless and walking in the fruit of righteousness and giving God the glory, then there's really like, I think, seven things real quickly that I would tell you. First, we need to pray and be grateful, as I said. We need to have a prayer and grateful attitude that helps us stay focused on God. We need to read the Bible regularly. 
this is an area that takes some muscle work. You know, if you want to grow muscle, you have to go to the gym and you have to work it. And it's and it's tough at first. Sometimes reading the Bible is not easy. But take and read parts of the Bible that are easier for you to read. Then also we need to go to church. You know, we've gotten to the habit of, well, I can go to church by sitting on my couch and drinking my coffee in my pajamas. And you can. Again, church isn't going to get you into heaven, but it provides a way for us to have fellowship with others. It allows us to connect with other like-minded individuals. In a world that is increasingly becoming more secular and more against the ways of the church and what the Bible teaches, we need to have that interaction. And because of that, we need to talk to other Christians. Talking to other Christians is a great way to stay focused on God. When we talk about our faith, it helps us remember what's important to us and why we believe what we believe. And then we need to listen to Christian music. Christian music is a great way to stay focused on God. It allows us to hear a constant message. It contains messages of hope and love and redemption that can speak to our heart and it can bring to remembrance what is important to us. And then we need to read Christian books. Again, if, you wanna, if you're having trouble reading the Bible, sometimes there's books out by Dr. Tony Evans and others that we can get that helps us understand how to walk better. And then last, I would challenge you to attend a Bible study. Don't just go to church, but attend a small group or a Bible study where you get into God's Word and you go verse by verse and, you, and it's not so formal from a sermon but it's actually a discussion of how what you're reading, what you're studying, where you can have some accountability. Those are seven ways that you can stay focused on God and help keep you focused on God. So as we wrap up today, I'm just excited about what we're going to learn in this short letter that Paul wrote to Philippi, the Philippian church, how he was joyful and we're going to see more about that joy as we go through this book. That's one of the main themes. But we're going to also see that there's this intimate fellowship that he had with this church. And we should be encouraged that God is going to help us grow. We just need to partner in that. We need to understand it's not just getting over the line. But it's a daily relationship walk with Jesus Christ. So will you do that today? Will you spend time in his word? Will you spend time in prayer with him? Let us pray. Dearly Father, we come before you today, Lord. We thank you for this time together. Lord, I thank you. Lord, I thank you for allowing us to live in a country where we can study your word. We can teach it and it can go across the airways. Lord, I pray today that this opening lesson as we walked into Philippians, Lord, that it hit the place that you wanted it to hit. It was an appointed time for the people that are listening today. Lord, that they can understand how that this church was founded. These founding members were folks that you wouldn't pick to be a founding member of a church. But Lord, that you took it and you grew it. And we see it 10 years later that Paul's writing to saints and he's writing to elders and he's writing to deacons and he's telling them about his thankfulness and he has joyful memories of their partnership. And Lord, how he prays that they'll continue to grow, even though he is in chains. Lord, I pray right now if there's one listening today, and maybe they've not been growing in their walk with you. Or maybe they need 
an idea of help on how to be more thoughtful of you and, and Lord, to be more reflective of you in their walk each and every day. Lord, I pray today, if you're knocking on their heart, that they would lay whatever you're bringing up to remembrance to them at your feet. Lord, they'll give it to you. They'll turn over those areas that you've exposed in their life that need some work. And Lord, I pray for the one that doesn't know you. Lord, I pray that they'll pray this prayer. They'll pray, I am a sinner. I need you, Lord. I need you to be Lord in my life. Lord, I pray for you to come into my life today. Lord, I believe on your finished work on the cross. I believe on you dying on the cross for my sin and overcoming death. And Lord, I commit my life to you. Lord, I make you Lord of my life. I am a servant of yours. Lord, we thank you for those that prayed that prayer of salvation right now. Lord, we thank you for all the blessings you give this ministry. It's in your name we pray. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.